What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Bus Driver Experience podcast. This is episode 27, and before we get into today's episode, I want to give a huge thanks to our new sponsors, Ambery Gardens. I am loving the CBD products, and I'm really happy I got into the CBD products. I've been running every day again, and with all the running I've been doing, my body is starting to take a toll, uh, really starting to get in that Michael Jordan last dance documentary when he made the pivot from being a baseball body to a basketball body. It's really no joke. So I've been really upping up the CBD products I've been using, especially for recovery. The deep rub product that I get from Ambry Gardens has been tremendous. Definitely going to be picking up a lot of stuff, a lot of deep rub product from them next month. I highly recommend it. And when you use promo code BUSDRIVER, you're going to get a 25% discount on any and all products. So go ahead, check out their products. I've recently started using them. I've recently partnered with them. And so far, it's been incredible. I use the tincture as well. I use the tat, uh, this tattoo lotion on the tattoos I have. And I could say they got a little nice pop and shine to them. But they have a tremendous array and a selection of products. That's ambrygardens.com. They're over on social media as well. Use promo code BUSDRIVER and you're going to get yourself a 25% discount. And it helps the show. So massive and huge thanks to anybody who's gotten anything positive out of this show. I really, really am glad you've got that. I don't need you guys to go spend anything on your products. But I'm loving this product. This product is supporting the show. So... It's a win-win for everybody. It's hard to say that in today's time. So massive thank you to anybody who is and is contributing um, to the show. And we're going to go jump over into today's guest, Nolan Hart, a former teammate of mine from Syracuse University. Uh, Nolan was a walk-on at Syracuse University. We were supposed to live together. Long story short, Fab Mello and Dion Waiters were fighting over cereal and milk. So uh, Dion and I lived together for a year, and Nolan and I uh, lived together my senior year. Nolan's a great guy. We've lived, uh, we've stayed in contact over the years. Um, he's got a tremendous take, personality, and a insight when it comes down to society, culture, politics. Um, he's recently, currently at the Kellogg Business School. He's been working his way through business school uh, while he's been attending, and he's got some interesting stuff he's looking to do in the content creation space. But we've had a great, we have a great talk and conversation for you today. You can watch this episode over on YouTube. Um, if you guys are watching this on the podcast app, go ahead and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Those are tremendous and big. I know it takes a few extra steps. And without further ado, I'm going to jump right into the episode with Nolan Hart. Okay. What's going on, dude? Welcome to the bus, dude. Surprise. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, my first podcast ever, and ready to make history you've been listening to podcasts for a while now you've been a long 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 frontier of the podcast game that's right yeah i'm uh i'm excited to be here i think it's you know what we were talking about before the show in terms of having something out there i mean as a guy i don't take a ton of pictures so having a podcast just to capture moments in real time, I think is, is pretty cool. And, you know, our, my thoughts and my um, point of view on a lot of things is always evolving. So having something to kind of capture what I'm thinking at this time is, is really alluring. And then to be on your show, of course, is uh, the a bus driver experience. And the bus came to Chicago too, which was nice, which feels like, 10 years ago, but it was actually all-star weekend 
in February, but that was like how that feels like ages ago, man. Right. The this whole COVID pandemic thing just makes everything seem a little bit like like the world has slowed down. Like I mean, life has slowed down. It's slowed down for everybody. That was just what we're in May right now. We were there in mid early February with that bus. Who bus around the country? I've taken school buses around the entire world now. Um, and, you know, just the amount that we did and how short of a time frame it seemed like all the crazy work we were doing then. And then, you know, looking back on it now, it's, oof, we've all like retreated back into our holes, man. But I think it's been good. I think uh, everything that's going on with this uh, COVID is for the best. I think everybody's trying to deal with it the best they can, you know, whether it's this government, that government, left, right, Republican, Democrat. I mean, we don't know how to properly handle this. No one's ever dealt with this before. So, you know, the fact that no one or people haven't gone too crazy has been a true testament to the little yeah. order that we have in this country. People don't like to look at every day where it's like, oh, wait, that red traffic light actually has people stop and everybody just commands and stands and listens to it. Those little rules, it hasn't happened in history. We haven't had people agree on something. At least this grand amount of people, 350 million, agree to have a little bit of justice and order in your. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. I mean, I've heard someone say that for the first time in the entire world, all 350 million people are focusing on one thing. And that's the coronavirus. So literally everybody's attention's on one thing. You'd think that we'd have a way to figure this out by now, but um, any everything that I'm reading is it's uh, a lot of it is just unknown. So I'm not gonna sit back and and live in fear. You know, you got to keep going. But I think for me, especially um, some folks that I've spoken with, it's uh, it's a, it's kind of like a reset button in a way. And a lot of us were running around like crazy. And now is, I think it's a good time to kind of reflect, but it's been a couple of months now and I'm just, I'm ready to get back into it. I mean, everybody was looking to get back into it. The, the problem is, you know, what's the right way to get back into it? Because, you know, we're not fighting anybody, you know, I'd say what most people in this country love doing, you know, if it's a, it's a brown or black person, like, hey, we can go to war for that somewhere around the world. That's that's an enemy, someone that looks different from you. Put the racist connotation behind, but just like just anybody that looks different from you in history, those have been the people who are like, oh, we can't trust those people. They just look different from us, whether they had blonde hair and blue eyes to, you know, they had a bigger nose. I mean, it was, it, we still have, you know, these tribal things about us that we can't let go and we can't mm. and that we still in our hearts, you know, it's somewhere near there that we, we kind of embrace all those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, just because we're going to open up, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's going to spearhead the economy and just all of a sudden everybody's hunky dory. Hey, we're getting back to normal. I mean, California put that stay at home order as of yesterday to July 15th. Um, yeah. I mean, Hey, I went golfing last week as a nice social distance golfing. Everybody gets part eight time on the links. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. But, you know, what is the proper and right way to do about it, especially if most young people aren't being affected by this at all? Because it's not necessarily that the young people are going to impact and hinder the health of older people. It's that 
you just don't know how a virus spreads. There's a video online. Um, they did this little experiment in Japan where they had a restaurant. They pretended like, hey, this guy squirted a piece of lotion uh, on his hand. And let's see how fast that lotion can spread throughout the restaurant in an evening. And then let's just pretend that's, you know, we'll call it a bacteria or virus. And, you know, just within 30 minutes after they turned the light on, you know, like a black light to see where it spread, it was all over the place. Mm. It, it but what do you think? I mean, because as a kid, right? I mean, we both played basketball. Um, for those of you guys listening, we both pooped at Q's. And I'm thinking like back in the day when I would be outside, my hands would be like literally black from just being out in the dirt and playing basketball on, on my hoops. And, you know, my mom would call me in and, you know, I'd do like a cursory hand wash, but like my body was just used to, you know, being around germs. So, I think being inside, being out of the sunlight and just kind of trying to protect yourself too much. It's like playing basketball, like with the objective of not getting hurt. Those are the times that you usually get hurt. When you play with reckless abandon, those are the times you usually don't get hurt. It's kind of backwards in, in a way, but what are your thoughts in terms of, Hey, we're trying to avoid, you know, getting sick, but now we're just over sanitizing. It's like, come on, we got to like mix it up a little bit we used to eat with our fucking hands like however many years ago. Like we can't be worried about this invisible enemy. We just got to live life. No, completely. I, I don't think the government is telling anybody, Hey, you can't go outside your house, sit in a lawn chair and catch some, catch some sun rays and crack, crack open a brew. <laughs> I don't think that's happening. I think, you know, it, it's, it's hindering the impact of, you know, um, I had a biologist on this episode, uh, a few episodes back, Scott Solomon. And, you know, what has made us so unique of a species on this planet to be one of the most dominant species on the planet is that we're social creatures. We, the, the, the thing about us is we need to connect. I think, uh, I forgot who was saying this, but like, we're like little drug houses too, our bodies. So you know, yeah. if someone touches us, oxytocin, our body tells us, Hey, release this drug so we can feel this way. Hey, we're in a flight or flight situation. Kick the yeah. and because we need to keep going. Hey, uh, we need to have a good feeling. We need to get that serotonin jacked up. So what? Mm. So no one's saying people can't go outside. I think people are making that little extra excuse to say, "Oh, these people are inherently evil and they don't want me to go outside at all." Listen, you can go so outside. The, the, the sun is going to hit you no matter what you do. You can still go for a walk at the park, you know, mm. wear a mask. You see someone coming by you, you or, you know, put the mask back on. If you want to get some fresh air, I've been doing a run every day, trying to get back on a habit of running every day. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've got a bunch of masks donated, uh, to the nonprofit, the hoop bus that I've been passing out. Nice. Um, so I, I popped that mask on. Yeah, it sucks. I ran a 5k with a mask on. It was fucking killed me, you know, but again, I don't know what I have per se physical coming up. You know, it's just taking the extra precaution. And like you said, I think it's, I still walk around barefoot, not outdoors. Yeah. But, you know, I walk around my house barefoot, like the outside areas of my house, you know, by the pool and everything. So, you know, I'm I'm moving, you're catching, getting acclimated to the bacteria, which is very important. The bacteria of your home, the bacteria in and around your little ecosystem of the place you live. Super important for your body to get acclimated to the things around you to build up those antibodies. That's totally the case. And I don't think people need to be putting massive amounts of you know the uh, yeah. antibacterial lotion that's going to kill a lot of the bacteria we need so 
if anything, I think some of it's good because we realized how dirty things were, like the grocery store. Like, why the fuck did we not clean our grocery stores this much before? That's all the we were scooping up. Those places were fucking cesspools. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I just think that we're kind of chung up, right? So it's like, hey, my theory is live and let live. So I, I was kind of waiting to see what the, you know, the models, which I think we could talk about, you know, later, but models are basically predictions, but it's basically like put your finger in the sky. Nobody knows any change in the variables. They're just going to throw it all out of whack. So with that being a given, I've seen it kind of come down. So when I go outside or I want to hang out with my friends or I want to even go to a bar at some point soon, people might look at me and say, Nolan, are you trying to kill somebody? Like what do you get me wanting to go outside and, you know, as a, like a, a way to um, scale up the fact that I'm trying to, of course I'm not trying to kill anybody, but I also, in a way I feel like, you know, Scotty Pippen from the last dance, like, you know, I didn't want to fuck my summer up. So there's, there's a little bit of, you know, I, I don't want to fuck my summer up. Like I was, I was in a good mood on, and I'm still trying to carry that feeling forward. But my, my other one I, that I see is that our brains, we can't factor in like 5% risk, right? We're all either like, Oh my God, end of the world, Y2K, like, or it's like nothing, or we're not thinking about it at all. It's hard to assign that level of risk. So I think once people see other people start to go out, so I'm, I'm trying to just be a little bit of a trailblazer. And if people want to stay home, fine. But I think at this point, I'd rather not be told by other people how to think about this because the models have all been wrong. They're all, they've all been wrong. We've been everywhere. So, and nobody knows. Well, I, they've been wrong, but 80,000 people are still dead. And it's not because of a a bipartisan or political standpoint or point of view. Like you said, you no, no. say like the, the models have been not exactly pinpoint, accurate, which is true. And they've fallen in between, you know, right, what, 83,000 or 84,000 as of today. But, you know, right. people want to blame Trump, but like how much could he have done? They say, well, he didn't have, he took away the whole pandemic team or he did this. I don't know exactly what is to say that he has done or hasn't done. But the same thing, the, the hate, for example, that Anthony Fauci is getting, I don't understand. This is the most cool, level-headed, and he's a fucking point guard, basketball player. Uh, there it is. The most kind of cool guy. Is he Jewish? A Jewish point guard? No. How? <laughs> Oh man, the great the great Italian point guard Fauci. Well, that's, that's my thing. It's like, how do you think that the, like, there's a great story on him in the uh, Wall Street Journal? Um, yeah, I read that one. This guy put himself through you know medical school, um, you know, busing in from Brooklyn every single day, you know, to eventually get to this point where he would have Donald Trump be president, and he and Donald Trump would be working together to conspire against the entire world, tear it down. It's like. Ah, uh, I mean, you can do boom. Like, all of that has had to culminate to this point to make sure this. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Have you got, have you worked as a business manager on a project? And if you got six people to, to to work together on a project and all agree on something, it's not that easy. Right. No, I mean, you. I think, I think it goes back to you know being on a team, right? And if things are going well, the best player gets all the credit. If things aren't going so well, they're the scapegoat. So, and look, I mean, I, I understand that 
you know, I, I think reality is, is very subjective. That's why I will never argue with someone who says that, you know, that this is really bad and everybody should stay inside for another three months because that's their, their view of reality. Like I was watching the UFC fight, which was cool to see sports back in action a little bit, but the women's fight went three rounds, went to decision and one guy had a 30, 27 for the one woman. And then the other guy had a 27, 30 for the other woman. They're watching the same fight, but they have two completely different scorecards. And it's, it just goes back to, why are we pounding people for, you know, the way they think about certain things when everybody's reality is unique to their own. So it's like, we could have, that's why I like these long form conversations because we just give and take. But when someone points a finger like, Oh yeah, you're thinking that way. Like that's bad. Like, no, I think we're all kind of trying to figure this thing out. It's very complex. But do you see what I'm saying about like two different realities? Like we're watching the same movie but it's like two different screens we're all we're looking at. So yeah, uh, that is uh but that's a massive problem now because we have nobody who wants to either say they're wrong or admit someone has a better right than the other person. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we might have these two conflicting um perspectives on a situation or an outcome, but where it's getting to the problem is is that and to the people's defenses who, you know, have like, who claim they have no more trust in experts or people who have spent their whole lives in studying something, committed to something. And as someone who's done that with basketball, it's like, you know, someone comes to me with a basketball opinion. I hear someone talking about basketball from the corner of my ear. Mm-hmm. What are you saying? <laughs> you know, you- well, that's so true. Yeah. That, I mean, it's so true. Like, and, and you know, Fauci has a more nuanced perspective than me on viral diseases. So I'll defer to him, but, and we have a, a unique perspective on basketball. I was watching, a, uh, I went to the Chicago symphony orchestra in January and I went with a couple of friends who are really big into, uh, that kind of thing. And I walked out, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, Italian guy, uh, uh Beethoven. And I was, I was over the moon. Like I felt myself, in such deep thought and really contemplating life, like straight up. I was just, I saw my world, my future, everything come before me and I had a just great time and I walked out of there and I, the only thing I could say was that was amazing. Right. Cause I, I don't know the difference between a cellist, the bassist, anything, but they had a very nuanced perspective. Like, Oh, I didn't like this or that. And I didn't like the way the, you know, the saxophone came in on the, on the second verse. And I was like, wow, okay. I didn't hear any of that. I was just, you know, looking at it as a whole where, you know, people who have more experience can see the different nuances. I was actually just, I shouldn't say this, but I was hanging out with my father and one of the assistant coaches who's, you know, coaches at Vermont. And we were watching the kids highlight tape and he put in this highlight tape, him not like not getting back on defense and then catching the ball and getting a, a fast break dunk. And the guy was like, I, I just stopped watching it right there. Like he's submitting the tape. Like, look at me. I got a fast break dunk. When the coach is looking at it, like, dude, you didn't even get back on defense. And that's why you got the fast break dunk. So it's like things that we take for granted, like basketball IQ, you know, other people think it's the bee's knees. Yeah. But I mean, I didn't see that whole tape, but you know, is that guy going to lose a solid recruit to the University of Vermont because of one play on getting back on defense? That's, that's a stretch. He must have really seen some shit. 
I don't like that guy. He didn't get back on the defense. That that fucking breaks the cake. I can't Dude, do it. We talked about the two screens. That guy was nowhere on the screen. He was like straight up cherry picking. <laughs> well, that's a Brandon Reese special, bro. In practice, you would always leak out and get those layups somehow. I it was, it was like what Rodman would do, like you know the the studies, especially they went over it. You're right. Uh, Stan's documentary, the way he studied, you know how each like every player that he was coming up against in the scouting report would just even how they they missed predominantly. You know, mm-hmm. guys who watch and who have played the game probably have heard this stat. You know, we've heard it probably from Bernie Fine a gazillion times. You know, seventy five percent of that ball. <laughs> is probably going to fall on the side, um, especially a long-range shot. So, I mean, I'm able to still look at a ball as it's going in the air, and I can. I, I don't think I'm unique in this way, but, you know, a lot of players can look at it, and we can make that judgment just where the ball is going, like just mm-hmm. right after that shot, where it's going to land, how it's going to come off the rim. So, I mean, anticipation was one of my fortes to jump plays, read read bodies, so, yeah, I mean, if I see that ball coming off and I could even see that it's going to, to Matt Light or Matt Tomaszewski and Fab, it's like, I'm going to take that leak out ahead. So I'm going mm-hmm. to jump and make that call. And again, you're not right every time, but, you know, it's, you can be right 65, 70% of the time. I mean, it's a good, it's a good, good odds. Right. I mean, I would even say like, fuck you. Yeah. I cherry picked and I got a bucket. I think it gets a bad, it, it gets a bad rap, but I think it, the people that are mad are the people that are getting scored upon. Like, you know, it's not like hockey or soccer, right? Basketball. You could yeah. literally yeah, sit one guy, right. And that's a, probably, uh, I don't think that they should have offsides in basketball, but you know, Kevin Love and these guys that could throw those outlet passes to someone streaking, like, that's the best bucket and the most demoralizing bucket, you know? If they got if you score and the other team comes back down and scores in one second, like, you know, those are those backbreakers. Threes and those transition hoops are backbreakers. Well, I mean, I wouldn't even say I was cherry-picking either. You know, I just see that shot go up. Right. You know, by the time that ball hits the rim... I'm over half court, especially if mm-hmm. someone's getting that. By the time that lob comes down, I'm catching, I'm catching the touchdown, just walking over the zone line right there. I mean, I mean, that's how I got a lot of my points in high school too. It's like playing with Brandon Knight, especially senior year. We had a meeting, me, him, and the coach, and we were gonna be splitting point guard responsibility. And I'm going to my senior year. It's like, well, you know, a lot of people would look at it like, say, "Fuck you," like I'm the point guard. I need to handle the ball, but it's like, oh, no, okay. You know, we kind of did that our junior year. He averaged like 25, I averaged 22. We went to States, like we were unstoppable in the backcourt together. And I'm the kind of guard who's like, oh, Brandon's hot? Dude, I'm, I'm going to get you the ball. <laughs> you're you're right. iterate player of the year. We're going to give you the ball. You, you're going to be an NBA player one day. I got you, man. So, you know, it's just like being able to say, okay, how do I like roll with the situation and be even better? So if Brandon wants to stay down there, go in for the rebound and catch that outlet pass, I was getting 20 points, some games, 30 yeah. points on fucking outlet passes. <laughs> and just like 10 layups some games. And they're yeah. like, he's cherry picking. He's like, well, no, we have a, two guys who went to go play D1. Three guys mm-hmm. down low starting playing D1. It's like, yeah. yeah like, so when I, when I, I understand when I, so when I got to, I'm a competitive person, I think, and, and you're up, I think you might be more competitive if I'm being honest. And when I, when I got to Syracuse, one of the things that was difficult for me is I 
you know, wasn't contributing as much on offense or defense uh, in these scrimmages. And that had, you know, not being able to contribute as much made it hard for me to find that voice, I think, on the court. And that kind of gives me my edge just being able to talk shit. But I'm not even the one. So I can't talk. You know, you can't talk shit as much as you're doing things. So mm-hmm. I noticed when I got there, you were mixing it up with these guys. You were always getting under people's skin. Was that part of your strategy or like, you know, talk a little bit about how you knew you were competitive. Was it no head games or just, you know, how you, how you acted? I wasn't a shit talker. Like, you know, I was more like, just let my game do the talking. I'll go out there and win. If anything, you know, Perlman, Perlman and I in high school, we're on the same team. I mean, we're, we're more like fucking with people on the court, tugging people shorts down, you know, spanking some person, you know, like Lance Stevens and shit, like blowing in their ear, like just, you know, silly stuff. Um, you know, you get the use and actually when I even, uh, Devo on the other show, you know, it's like, and this guy just started using language on me, you know, and I'm just like, we're on the same team. Like, whoa, Whoa, what's this guy saying to me? <laughs> shit. So, you know, and then when I came in there, I didn't have a scholarship. And it's like, I just did whatever I normally did when I put my mask on to go to a new place. I went to, when I went to this high school as a freshman, and I didn't know anybody in that high school, and it was a public school, and I transferred over. And um, just like, okay, let me just head to the basketball court and take on the biggest, baddest kid. And right. put them in their place. So I had Johnny Flynn to go up against every single day. You know, the other two walk-ons, Justin Thomas and Jake, they're both kind of checked out at the time. Jake really focusing on, you know, being more of a, a coach, uh, pulling on that yeah. coach apparatus. And, um, and then JT just kind of just checked out after, you know, four or five years at Q's. So for me, I got to just go in every day and battle Johnny, battle Johnny. And, you know, it's not battling like, hey, I'm going to hurt this guy. It's just, how can I just go and do my job? How can I add the most value? And I, 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 want, I think I'm the best player in the world. So I want to go out there. I want to go uh, not only compete with these guys, but I want to be a professional basketball player. I know that's getting attention. It's getting time. And it's getting to be on the basketball court and display your talents. So, you know, by the time, you know, freshman after freshman year you know you said you come in was junior year my junior year it's like yeah you gotta be able to just you know steal the ball from Dion, pick his pocket go down go try and just pull the rim to the ball inside you know just, hey, let me, yeah that's another steal Dion. where are you at low? um you know you gotta bust these guys chops and at the same time like it's just it makes the game more exciting the camaraderie you know the the battles like you said like, yeah it's not warfare but you know you you know even like that scout team we had the tomaszewski's uh nicks matt lie griffs i mean it was just like you know i laid into those guys every single day and i remember a time where people are like dude you got to stop fucking yelling at these guys but it's like yeah dude i'm out here to win like you know fuck these guys making cheap little lob passes we're out here to compete with these guys it's not gonna make those guys better you know mm-hmm. like i love this jordan documentary where it's just like hey I didn't come to practice every day for you to like me. I didn't play with you to be my best friend. Like we're going out there to win. Cause even if right. I'm getting in the game and I'm losing, I broke a stool before I got in trouble in the locker room, you know, just like, what the fuck? I don't want to lose. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder though, 
I wonder how that would play out today, a team like the Bulls, because I always, you know, I'm a fan of, I think, a good confrontation, a good knock, you know, that would be, you know, bring the team closer together eventually. And you're right, you know, we're, we're there to with a common mission. We're not there to, you know, play patty cake. But I think now the model is almost like these Villanova programs. And it's not, I don't know what their pre- like practices are like, but it seems like they're all huddled up and together. But I think you can have a very dysfunctional team and still be successful and have, you know, not necessarily everyone being, you know, you know, friends are necessarily even on a, on a team to be successful. But I wonder if that's even the case now because, you know, the media kind of blows every little thing out of proportion. Like, you know, I was watching these Draymond and Katie things that were just like so little and like they just, you know, Stephen A and, and these guys talk. And it's it's all so bullshit. I mean, like, and I, I, I always just skip watching those things because it's it's so pointless. But, I just wonder though, it's, it, it's just the way things are, are fragmented now where like people have an opinion that don't matter one and just have no fucking idea about how to, how these things work. So what it comes down to was substance, you know, all these, you know, major companies who put out this content, you know, it's like, I mean, how many conversations are we going to have about LeBron and Jordan, you know, between Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp? Like, no one cares. Everybody just stop watching them. Like, you know, these two could have this debate until the end of time. It's only a matter of your consuming and watching. You know? It's, uh, you know, it's the biggest, it's one of the things. It's the power of the people. And the people don't understand the power they actually have. From consumerism to politics, you know, to, to, to what people are going to be distributing and feeding them. So, you know, if they don't want to watch this, don't don't watch it demand for better programming demand for a better politician like you have the power yeah you, you pull together as a bunch of people That's capitalism 101 demand yeah appreciation table you i think it's so hard though it's so hard though right because i i get so so sidetracked like by things and advertisers and everybody are so good at targeting now and all that aside right we have taken for granted so much. And I, I think some people and I and myself included are in this category where, you know, we watch what we eat. We, you know, we go to the gym, we work out, we take care of our bodies, but we are completely mindless as to what our, you know, content is that we consume. Right. So it's like, you know, and I get on these like grape juice boys and, and you know, the, 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 uh, fat Jewish and it's funny content. And I, I have a good meme, I have a good joke, but you know, you consume that stuff and it just kind of makes your soul go a little dead. And, you know, and I just think that, you know, there, there's, there's ways that we can kind of, you know, I wish the way they kind of filter out content, um, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess there's, 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 there's going to be some push towards decentralization and being able to kind of control your own content and things that you receive. But right now it's tough. It's just like a constant bombardment and it's hard for people to stay focused. No, you're totally right. You know, I think we are at the age, I think this, this age range of like 25 to, I don't know if I want to extend it to 45 or 40 where you, you either have, you know, you've had enough coming of age experiences and you're looking for more substance. You're looking for a little bit more deep value in 
you know, who you surround yourself with, how you spend your time. And I know you've done this over the past few years. You know, it, it's, you, and it's, it's hard to do. I think it's, it's not easy. And because there's so much choices and options in life, especially, you know, not just for our generation, but I think I worry for the Gen Zers because, you know, you can wake up and be anything you want to be today and start the process to becoming this or go back to school or do that. Like there's so much you can do, but the one thing that hasn't disappeared is the amount of hard work and time it's going to take to be successful and what you have to do. And you know, it's was tough for us as basketball players. I mean, I mean, I'm sure you had a dream always playing basketball. And then when you got the cues, it's like, all right, well, how long am I going to do basketball for? And how much am I going to start focusing in while still trying to make sure I'm contributing to this team? Cause I got to get better here and work hard here just to, just to have a place on this basketball team. At the same time, how am I enriching my life in other places? You know, and what's, what's that called in uh investment, you know, diversifying your portfolio. Yeah continuously adding on things to making sure you have revenue streams. So once we get to that point in our life, you know, it's until you get to the point, I would say 45, 50 year olds, which we see now, I think, I don't know about your parents, but you know, my parents and just like people their age like in the sixties now, it's just like, they just don't care anymore. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough jelly squeezed into your brain. that <laughs> The, the jelly machine can't take anything else. They don't let anything else out of there, and the no. that's in there is in there for the rest of time, and there's no changing. Yeah, that no, yeah, no, that's so true, and and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you go up and you and you you know, in life you come up against these walls all the time, and then you just got to figure out a way to get around that wall, and then there's going to be another wall. But as long as you're like kind of coming across new walls and needing new tools to get around that wall, you'll keep it exciting and, and keep moving forward. But, you know, I, I, I had this story, like, you're right. I got to Syracuse realized, all right, this probably, this basketball thing is not going to work out. I probably knew that a little beforehand, but all right, what the fuck am I going to do? Worked at a sports agency. Uh, there's not that much room for growth. I'm moving worked at Excel sports management in New York city. And one of the jobs I had was to move Sean Livingston out of his apartment when he got signed by the warriors from the nets. And I was like, all right, man, I'm, I'm, I didn't come here to like be a mover. And like, that's what you had to do. You had to like work, you know, work your way up. But I was like, all right, this is probably athletes are a little needier than most, um, you know, the general population. Um, <laughs> so I, I was like, all right, now I need to learn finance. So it's like, you just keep le- like figuring out ways to get around it as long as you're facing new problems. But one of the more interesting things that I, I noticed was like, Oh sweet. Now I got the finance job. I'm in New York, like game on, like what's good. Like let's go to the bar. And it's like, yo, chicks don't care that you work in finance. Like it's not cool anymore. It's like, Oh, you like the content Kings now? All right, I gotta make some content. But it's like, you, you really, you know, have to understand for a minute that, um, like I'll just give an example, right? Like when I was, when I would go to these festivals, right. And I was in, uh, I was in Miami at Rockestella and it's like, I had for a few days. So I kind of like, 
understood the vibe and I was like kind of moving like a Miami person would move, but it took me a couple of days to like get used to move from like the business Nolan into Miami Nolan mode where it's more relaxed, but it's like, you can spot out like a dude that works in like a non-creative industry or like a chick that's like not really in that walk of life because they just move different and their energy is different. So it's like, this, some of these things that we do are really sucking energy from us and are making it difficult for us to be the best version of ourselves. So it's like, you must be the friend out there to like kind of call you out to say like, yo, you, you're kind of soulless right now. And I, I, I just, I see sometimes it in myself and I can kind of identify it now, but you know, people don't really vibe with like, Oh, I do this for a living and I make that much money. Like, no, like you got to really kind of be yourself now, I think. And that's the person that I want to attract, but it's, it's hard right now to find that amidst all of all the chaos that's going on. Mm-hmm. Do you, who's the, do you have a person in your life who you, who you can go to and just say, can you call me on my shit? Like, Somebody will like, give you a call. Just say, "Hey, man, what the fuck are you doing? What's wrong with you? Get the fuck out!" My uh, my younger sister is probably that person. She calls me out on everything, um, from my choice of girls and to any any habit that she sees me pick up that's maybe not so good. I have a friend in Chicago. One of the things we're trying to do is something called a Ulysses contract, where um, the story of Ulysses is uh, you know the, the guy who was was on the I think he was on a ship. Yeah. Yeah. He was on a ship and then the siren song and it's like, you know, the beautiful music and, you know, the, the song will actually kill everybody on the ship, but it's so beautiful that they kept, you know, turning the wheel and, and going over there. So what he did was we, he had the people tie his hands to the steering wheel so he couldn't move it. Um, and I think he plugged the people's ears who were working on the deck. So, he made it through. So I think the way to create that Ulysses contract in your own life is to have a friend and say, look, I do not want to text this girl at 10 o'clock beyond. And if I do, I'm going to have to explain to you in a text message the next day why I did it. So at least if you do it, you're going to have to explain to your friend why you did it. And that might be enough to stop you right there. Right. It's like some of the littlest little blockages can stop you from doing something like taking the battery out of your TV remote and just putting it over on the other side of the room might just remind you, all right, I shouldn't watch TV. I should do something else. Yeah, I mean, accountability as adult is very difficult. You know, I, I even think about, you know, we have, we have coaches, you know, even our teammates, you know, I mean, you're butt naked in these locker rooms with these guys, you know, you're talking about this and everything else. And, you know, they'll let you know if you're, if you're you do something to give someone an edge, like mentally, even when you laugh, those guys, they will, they will let you know. Like, it's like such an important, uh, it's an important thing. Like the, like the uh, camaraderie that you have you know especially um you know guys um, it, it, it's just the biggest thing lacking you know it's but like you i mean my sister same thing you know and i'm, I'm such a hard ass on myself you know the kind of content that i put out the kind of work that i put out like i'm probably too critical on it you know so i'm just always like I'll even call people to check in like, Hey, Hey, you take a look at that. Do I sound like a piece of shit? Like this came off the X way that way. So I mean, it's, it's so great if you have that, but if you can't be self-reflective on yourself, 
you know, whether you, mm-hmm. you know, I think smoking pot's a great thing to do with that, you know, not even excessive amounts. I and mean, you just need a hit from a joint and you'll get a great little hit of self-reflection to say, oh, man, yeah. I, I was a piece of shit to my mom on the phone the other day. Let me call my mom. I'm sorry. Like, you, know, you, get caught up in, you get caught up in your life, all the BS that goes on in your world. That, yeah. You know, you forget how you're treating other people. And I think, you know, it's like you said how that relays to relationships like us millennial mm-hmm. men i mean it's you know I, I even get impatient with trying to date these days it's like okay girl dating app we start talking like hey i like you enough let's let's go on a date let's go let's go for a, yeah. let's go do something and it's like hold on i don't fucking know you what are you, what are you going on you know yeah <laughs> um so you know it, it's interesting because i think it's so hard. It's so hard to be perfect all facets of you know, how, how you have to be in life today, and especially with how easy things are delivered to us. I mean, even think about sex and pornography. Like, oh wait, to go out and court a woman is 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 just hard. Like, I don't get laid on the first day. Like, I want to have actually substance with somebody and seriousness. Like. And I can just do that on my phone right here, and then just that's it. Yeah, that's a biological factor. Like sex didn't just happen, even in nature right. like that. You had to demonstrate some kind of value to the opposite sex of whatever animal species you were. You want to call, you know, primates to say like, hey, oh, this guy, you know, protect me, get off me for my children. Like those little subliminal cues we still have. So I think like. Mm. Porn's an interesting one, man. I think that's even uh, too readily available for human beings. Oh yeah, it's so so easy. I mean, I I actually I gave that up for Lent last year, and like one of the things that I noticed was that I had, you know, I started treating women better um, because it's just not as as front of mind. Like, you know, for a while, the only friend, like the only girls I would talk to, were girls that I wanted to, uh, you know, get with. To be honest, and not to say that I didn't have, um, like friends, but it, if I was kind of just, you know, shooting a text out, I would, it would be someone that I was looking to get with just to be honest. Yo, yo, yo. I wasn't, yeah. yeah, I wasn't like, hey, but now I, I, and I, I have so many friends now and it, and it's great because, um, it's, it's just a lot, it's a lot more chill. And, and there's, um, I had this, this point of view is interesting. It's like guys and girls can't be friends, right? Like there's either going to be, you used to have that or you still have that. I, I'm, 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 I don't know, man. Cause it's like, there, there's definitely a case to be made for the, the way the girls think is that guys, of course, guys and girls can be friends, but girls like to have like a, a bench, you know, like guys brag like, Oh yeah, I got a bench and full of chicks. Like, but girls really are the king of the bench. Like they got guys that they just string along just in case some shit fucks up. Like I got seven other, you know, to keep me company, but, but they just think they're friends. But if you ask any guy, if it's like two relatively attractive people, the guy would be like, yeah, I would like totally hook up with, you know, Mary or whatever. And it's like, so there's always that sexual, uh, you know, tension there. I think underneath it all, underneath it all, but it's not, like I said, I've, I've, the no pornography has helped me suppress all that. And, um, you just gotta be a man and, and not have that seep in. But like one of the other things is it's given me a lot of energy too. Like, I think that is such a deflating activity on so many different levels. Like it not only is it, 
you know, I would argue that's somewhat degrading. Uh, I got to trust God straight on. So I can't really like, you know, talk too much about, about, uh, you know, the positives. I, I don't know. I mean, like you could wake up and be like, you know, Johnny sins if you watch him enough, but like, no, like that. I, I don't know. Shout out to Johnny. Future guest. <laughs> Future guest. Yeah. Get him on the show. But yeah, I think, I think you can get a lot of, you, you have more time. Obviously you're going to have a lot more energy. Um, there's, there's some research on it, but it's tough now. It's so readily available. And I saw like a guy from Miami, like a professor, he, um, got fired for just having like a tab open, like a, a, a tab open. And he like shared his screen with the students. So I was like, damn, like that's a harsh, harsh penalty for someone to get fired for, for something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, well, I think with the way you're looking at it is you can't look at it as you want to look at it, you know, Hey man and woman, but at the same time they're humans, you know, and yeah. all the time women's, you know, sex lives and sex drives just haven't been able to be looked at in a certain way. And they kind of been shamed into like, Hey, you know, don't walk around like that. Don't look like that. I think that negative connotation has only negatively impacted, you know, sexual relationships between men and women where it's just, Oh, I can't be this way or I don't can't be this. Way. I can't do this to you. You can't do this to me. Um, and I had, uh, this one artist, uh, New York city, Kira cheers on the show. And she's big on, um, just studying sexuality um, yeah. you know, between the entire spectrum of sexuality that exists nowadays. And, um, you know, even looking at pornography as like sex education. Like I think about sex education, it's like I probably got most of my sex education through pornography. I mean, just, to, you know, what would you learn in school? You know, you learned sexual anatomy. You know, you, you watch some, you, you didn't get yeah. on how you did this. You, you talked about it with your boys. You saw it in a film and you kind of go out and do it. And it's kind of weird. Yeah. Like we rely on people that may not be in the highest echelon or quality of person. We look at, you know, we think of people, some people look at people in the porn industry, but, um, but like, that's where we're learning our sex from, or a lot of people in our society or the world are learning from our sex from that. And then the people in that business and industry don't really get treated really well either. And some could even be said it's on the lines of human. Yeah. And it's like, or child abuse too. So it's like, huh? Yeah. That's like one of those things. It's like, Hey, this is something we need to have a talk about as, as a culture, as a people, a civilization to say, how can we go about this in a much better way where people aren't, yeah. of, we can have better relationships. Cause I mean, Look at the amount of people that are getting divorced. I mean, sex is a part of right. a part of relationships. It's not everything, but for some people, it's like the end all be all. Like, and it's like, oh wow, that's where basing, you know, our family system and our family structure off of. Like, it's not good. It's coming from a terrible place. It could be way better. Right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine. I mean, let me ask you this. So like, if, is it, is it possible? Cause it, porn makes it so easy to kind of separate like feelings from your sexual partner. Right. Like, it's also like an how does that logical thing we can just go out and do like, right. So right. That, that visual, emotional and physical stimulation from your computer or cell phone, you know? And I mean, the amount of toys that exist today that these contraptions that people have, 
that they can almost feel that way without having another human there, you know, is, is, you know, everybody wants to say the world's moving towards it, but we really have to be careful in terms of we can allow those things to be, but you know, that can't, if we don't ever acknowledge it, then we, that it's there, then it's always going to be this weird taboo gray zone. You know, we've had these weird taboos in our society because we we're afraid of talking about things as, yeah, as a civil, as a culture, you want to say, or society. Yeah. But go ahead. You were, you were going to, you're going to go deep into it. No, no, I think, I, I think it's, you gotta be understanding of, you know, every, however anyone wants to live their life. Um, you know, for me, and maybe that's, this is just like my Virgo instinct and like overanalyzing this, this shit out of, you know, certain areas. But, you know, if I have sex with someone, it's going to like, there, there's a part of them that, you know, we're always going to be something like it's, it's hard to kind of like separate that too. Like it's just a seminal moment. It's before and after, right? Like you can't look at that person the same, and it's not a bad way. It just like, it changes the flow of a lot. So one of the books that like, you know, Chance the Rapper talks about it, one of his songs, he's like, his, his wife was reading, or I think it might've been this girl at the time was reading uh, this book, Devon Franklin, the weight. And like the, the whole thing behind the weight was he, uh, Devon Franklin was a pastor and he's married Megan Good, who was like one of the, you know, video bombshells of like the nine uh, 2000, you know, Megan good, of course, beautiful. Oh my God. Yeah. She's beautiful. But they did this whole thing called the weight <laughs> and they didn't have sex. And like, they're, you know, they look almost like, like the, you know, the, the quintessential couple, like grad holding hands and interviews. And like, it just looks so much different than what, like the, the phoniness that I see with a lot of celebrity couples where it's like, everything's good on TV. And then on that, on the outside, it's, you know, kind of not that, not that way. And I just hope that we kind of, as a society to move away from perfection. Like, I think there's a Roy holiday documentary coming out and like how he was like the perfect teammate, perfect competitor. And like he, Roy holiday on the uh, picture who was on the blue Jays, Cy Young, Billy, Doc holiday. I read his uh, police report when he died in that plane crash. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's basically like, he, he like was driven to like a be like a kamikaze pilot basically. But dude, it was nuts. He's driving like three hundred miles per hour right above the water, doing fucking barrel rolls and flips. Um, More, yeah, like people don't know. Foreign pitcher on the uh, Toronto Blue Jays and Philadelphia Phillies um, died in a plane crash. And in that plane crash, if you go and read the report that's released, it's he was driving this thing like a madman. Like it's <clears throat> nuts. You know, if I chuckle or giggle, you know, it's, it's no knock to the man. It's just like, Whoa. I mean, I have my own yeah. thrill seeking stuff, but that's a whole nother level. I don't know how he had a life insurance policy. <laughs> See, I, I mean, I hope so. Cause the family was, I mean, the family was like, yo, like the celebrity and like the pressure of being perfect killed him. And I think, you know, we lionize these celebrities and we like think that they're perfect, but they like really, they feel a way about it because, you know, my, my friend met Justin Bieber at a bar. Right. And it was crazy. He was at the Soho house in New York city. <clears throat> and they were going to the, I think he was said he was going to the bathroom and like someone cut in front of him and like, he kind of nudged them and was like, what? And they're both kind of drunk. And then they're pissing next to each other and they're staring, having like a stare off. And he notices like, like, dude, you're, Justin Bieber and he like kind of points to his sleeve and like Bieber's wearing like a purpose tour t-shirt like with his face on it 
And he's like, yeah, like I'm Bieber. And then they're like kind of washing their hands. And he's like, and they're, but anyways, they go out and just have a drink. And he finds out that Bieber is just by himself with one of his boys at the sew house, just like trying to be a bro. Like just literally he's, so he invites him over. And the moral was like, these guys are like, they feel like circus animals. And I think, you know, there, there's no wall between like, you know, your real life and you know what it's like on screen. And like our two lives have merged, like celebrity and real life have merged technology. Life. Like you used to have your online persona and your real life, like all that shit has merged together. And what it's done is it's, it's made people hard to like kind of live up to that expectation all the time. So I think we got to really be, you know, to show our real self and like not put so much pressure on, on people. Um, but shame on you. If you're like fake, you know, showing off your imperfections, like, Oh my God, look, it's like no makeup or like, you know, that shit is corny as hell, but it's just tough. I, I, I just don't envy that, that whole celebrity right now. It's just really, um, it's tough. Well, you said it's, it's, it comes back to what we just talked about before that it's the value system. Like what do and we can't just we can't just put all the onus on the on the individual anymore. Like, what do we value as a people in this country? You know, what do we value as a as a society? What do what is the most important? What are the you know the most important things to us? You know, it starts with the individual, and I we're like I think it's so hard for people these days. Like, you know, but it's made me way more clear and level headed. Where I say, oh. This is what I believe in. These are the things that I'm a strong proponent for. I'm going to find a way to build my life, my business, you know, around these things because these are the things that represent me. And if I can do that and I can exemplify those things in my job and who I am, then, you know, I'm going to be out there not worried about painting a facade of what I'm trying to be or what I'm not. And, but, but that's really hard and it takes a lot of work as an individual to do on yourself. You know, when it comes back towards the yeah. stuff, it's like all these people are painted in this picture, not solely on, on the onus isn't on them entirely, but you know, like we talked about with what kind of substance is in the media and the content that we're consuming that's being portrayed. It's like, like mm. who cares if LeBron is taco Tuesday or not? Like he's not the best in my book because I'm a lunatic competitor, as you said. And I think Michael, yeah. Is never going to lose in something if he's if he's ready to go and he's prepared for something, but that's just me. I'm like that's it. It's yeah, because that's that's who I, I value and recognize with. LeBron's probably is a better dad, probably a better all around person to be around, a cooler dude. I don't know about cooler dude, but you know. Mm. Uh, but think about if you were LeBron though, right? Because like, and I'm not calling saying like some people may say he's compromised because he's you know making all this money for Nike, he's making all this money for you know NBA relies on him. I don't know. LeBron, you soda and Sprite. That's a yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're. I mean, I don't know what that's like, but like LeBron, LeBron, like use your platform, use your platform to talk about. So it's like, how do you when when you have that kind of values? Like, I don't know how to phrase this, but we don't we we want other people to fight our battles for us, and then we also are. Um, we're not celebrating like the individual. Like I know that LeBron didn't really feel a way about Daryl Morey's comments on China. I, I know that I just know that he didn't feel a way, but he felt 
compelled with his platform to have to speak up about it. So I'm just, I'm just wondering like how we can kind of move away from, from that and, and just kind of, does that make sense at all? I hope it's coming through, but I, I just don't understand why we're, we're always one canceling people or two, like wanting our celebrities to speak out on things. A better example are corporations, right? Like all the ads right now in this unprecedented time, the coronavirus, da, 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 da. We care for our employees. Like, I don't need them to moralize to me. Like I, I get it. I th- but it's just, it just seems kind of like, I, I think that it's more should be coming from the individuals, but we're kind of living through this avatar culture of like wanting our celebrities and our corporations to speak out on these things, but it's kind of just soulless to me. <laughs> yeah. The evolution of our democracy and Republic has been very interesting. Um, you know, you've seen this with politics and politicians where it's like, Oh, Hey, I don't have to actually do any civil service. I don't have to actually take part in office. I can have this one man and now woman represent a culmination or group of people. Cause I mean, we had that since the foundations of our country, but it's like, okay, they're going off and representing us. And we've had corporations before, but now we're also seeing this massive, you know, I believe we're in a plutocracy right now. um, Seeing what, how amazing corporations have swayed, the the people of our country not just people who have a lot of money but i think they've swayed people so well as a as a movement and culture to say like hey we need someone to have a billion dollars if we don't have this person a billion dollars how am i gonna have a job and it's like and you see that from Democrat, Republican, like everybody, like, hey, well, we need this person. We need to give them tax breaks. And it's just like, whoa, whoa hold on. And it, you, know, you see that back into politics where it's just like this whole bipartisan, like whole culture is, is there's not real mu- really much of a difference between it. It's both sides complaining and nagging when those corporations are the ones like Facebook has 20,000 lobbyists who live and work in DC and saying like, Hey, you know, we do 20,000 lobbyists. <laughs> yeah. Major corporation probably has that, that much. Yeah. Yeah. We oh man. $80 billion trying to convince you that we're creating community. But actually, I'm just trying to manipulate you to say, hey, here's some ads. Here they come and sell you soap or a product of sex better or brush your teeth better. (laughs) So all we do is basically make a platform where we want to – and, you know, I I think the the problem is is that they've made a monopoly on – what is it? Data. You know, and kudos to them. It's like it's like a discovery. Like the people, first people who discovered oil and had a monopoly on oil because they were able to, to not just uh, you know harvest it out of the ground, but then um, what do you want to say like uh, cut it up, distribute it, ma- uh, manufacture it, like the works. But you know, now that we know that data has value, you you know our whole com- our whole country is based off. We don't want one monopoly over a, over a certain you know, product and that product now is data. So how do we make sure the people who are contributing to the data every single day, where technically employees and contractors should be getting certain 
you know, monetary payments over that, especially if we're talking $80 billion that's going towards that. And if people spend their time on that, they sh- and spending their money on it. Right. And, yeah, and right. And I think the whole bipartisan and these, the way that the media has put out stories, it's just a way for us to keep bickering about things that don't actually matter and not things that, you know, dinner table conversations, like, you know, getting married, starting a family, you know, having enough money to you know, like raise your kids. So it's like, yeah, I do feel like it's kind of evolved into this plutocracy. And, you know, I think the tipping point for me was the Gillette toxic masculinity commercial. Like, yo, like you're telling me like I'm being, a, whatever the, the, the term is like too masculine or like, it's like, bro, like you don't like, we were just talking about it earlier in the conversation. Like, mating instincts are a thing. They will always be a thing. Like you, they want us, they fed us all this like bullshit just to keep us docile, I feel like. And it's, it's it, it a little bit more of a social thing. Like, again, yeah, but it's great to go after if the majority of your audience is men and say, Hey guys, tone down the masculinity. There's a point to be like, right. We can treat women better. We can treat women better as a collective. <laughs> right. What's one way of going about it. We probably could all right. do that a lot better, but right. If you, if you were to come to me, Hey, Nolan, pull me aside off air. Like, Hey, I think you should treat women better. I'm like, all right, great. But if you, if I get it from Gillette over the airwaves, it's just like all the, like, it's just too many joy boys up on, on TV. Like every guy that they put on there is just like the most effeminate man I've ever seen on any commercial. Watch ESPN or watch, you know, any, any channel and watch every man that they put up. They just put up some like bozo dork that's going to like trip over a phone and then like, it's just so sad, you know, that they're depicting, and we, I need women and women need, men like that's just a, a fact so i just hope that we start respecting uh that that more like we need each other we need to like kind of come come together all at once because we're not getting giving women what they need and women aren't giving us what like we need so we just need to figure out a better way to come together and i think that just starts by like just fucking having the conversation i was about to say conversation because you know i i even think in this country i don't think we've had a proper talk about slavery in this country and just what's yeah. done like the fact that people yeah, it's true. have problems and things is is not because like hey just get over it like it's a little more than right no one tells right Jewish people you can't tackle so you can't right Right. You can't tackle, you know, slavery and the Holocaust in a tweet though. Like you need to do your own research and you need to really flesh out, you know, different perspectives, but that's the problem. Like we, one of the interesting books I read and I'll let you finish your thought because I think I cut you off there, but, um, it's called, um, amusing ourselves to death. And it talks about, you know, how radio came up, came across and like that spread information. So before it was, whatever is local to your little community was the only information that you really heard. Right. So then radio came out and then the printing press. Now all this information, you're getting global information and all these things are developing and it's great. Now we have TV and we could just mindlessly numb ourselves. So it's like, wait a minute, what actually matters to me? Like what is affecting my community? And I think slavery and, and the Holocaust, they, they zoom out and then they come back in, but that will reach your community. But it's like, Dude, I don't care. And I'll be honest, I don't care about the tornado in Missouri. And I don't care about the missing boy in California because it doesn't affect me. But if I see that, it's going to grab my heart and I'll be drawn to it. But it's like we are amusing ourselves to death, but it's just the way that we've kind of. So 
and, I, and this is the last thing I'll say on this. Just like I was talking to Mike Doorman. He's, he's, he's from Ghana. He talks about how you guys, man, you don't know your neighbors. You don't know. You just keep your head down. You just text, text, text. If this was Ghana, this apartment is Ghana, the first floor would know everybody on the top floor and everybody would talk to each other. And it's like, yeah. And you see it like all you need in Ghana is like some music and everyone's having the best time of your life. You go to even a bar in, in New York and it's like, you know, stuffy as hell. Like you can't even really move. So it's like, we are, we, our priorities are all backed up, but I think technology and just the way that we kind of just need to unwind, but it's already there. Right. So how do we kind of unwind that? What's the name of that book? Uh, the, who authored that book? I'm using it. Um, uh, Neil, Neil Postman. Neil yeah. Postman. I'm using ourselves to doubt. That's super interesting. No, no, I want to check that one out. It's, you know, I, I think we're just, we've just exceeded our levels of capitalism, you know, where the capitalism and the consumerism has just completely yeah. sprinkled over to us. And, you know, we see that in this pandemic <laughs> where it's like, wait, what's our economy actually based off of? corporations need us to go out and spend money and if or like you look at the restaurant industry and how many people actually put into the restaurant industry and now that that thing's like basically dead because no one can go out and eat or no one can go out and sit in big groups of people together and it's like whoa wait, wait our economy is based on leisure activities like spending money on food that we can cook ourselves like i don't think that's the thing we need to be basing everything off of i mean you know we lack the manufacturing we lack making our own stuff or shit in general we don't make any of our stuff from our medicine to you know right. and you know again that goes back towards the major corporation yeah listen we're gonna make this cheaper for you it's gonna be shittier quality <laughs> you're not gonna be able yeah. to work anymore and then we're gonna ship it off and also this democracy that you know is very unique to the entire planet that was found in 1776, we're going to use it for our favor. We're going to tell you that too much of this government is not good. We're not going to pay any taxes. And yeah, that's how it's going to be. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. People have just been completely sold a lie in goods to, to say that like government is communism and not like, whoa, whoa, we created this democracy in 1776. It was the most unique thing that's been spread out around the world. That's been so many people their own individuality in a society and culture and business. And now you guys are telling us that this is bad. We don't need to use that because you guys don't want us. You guys want to make yeah. not pay taxes. You know, we've been completely manipulated. Yes. The, the idea that government money. Yeah. Bad. It's like, all right. Yeah. We, we don't need a lot of government, but right now you're, you're, you guys are the ones you're full of shit. Yeah. I mean, like I, you know, everybody's scared to, to protest. They're scared to go out and strike. Like, listen, we all don't want to buy Jeff Bezos products. Go on a strike. Mm -hmm. Tell Jeff, say, Jeff, fuck you. We don't want to buy you. Right. We yeah, but you want that toothbrush. You want that toothbrush at your door the next day. That's that's my problem. But like, but look, I should it should never probably come to that, right? Like it's community active like organization, right? Where you said right. That's where you're right. You, you need the community people. Back to your guy in Ghana. <laughs> Yeah, people look at me weird because I have conversations with people at the park. I have conversations with people on my street. These are the people that live around me. God forbid anything happens. I want to know who lives near me. I want to be sharing stuff with them. Yeah. And my family lives in Florida. I have a sister out here, but you know, this is, if you have your family, yeah. these are the people that are closest to you. Yeah, those experiences so, too. I've gotten so away from just saying, hey, right. Yeah. 
There, there's something special about borrowing, like borrowing the mayonnaise from your neighbor and just seeing how their day was going. And then, you know, Oh, you want, I'll cook you a burger. Like that's, you know, that's dope. Let's maybe watch a movie. Like that whole thing is missing. Or even like, you know, I've been studying some private equity and, and, you know, one of the big deals that got a lot of news was the KB toys acquisition back in like, I think mid to late two thousands and like a bunch of KB toys employees lost their job and spoke to like, you know, you know, the obvious, um, you know, maybe profit on the short term, but the communities and being impacted and like just that joy of like going to the KB toys and picking out a toy or like going to your video game store and your mom saying, all right, you can have that video game. You've got good grades and you go pick up that. And like, now it's just kind of like, all right, you get a cardboard box on Amazon. Great. Or like now you could even just use your dad's credit card or something on the low and like buy the game. I think it's a lot of kids are doing now. They're just buying shit from their parents' credit card. So it's like, it's so depersonalized and it's like, wh- where do you draw? Yeah. Where do you draw the line? So it's like, and the, the flip side of that is now, Oh wow. Like kids are like, you know, these experiences, let's go to these festivals. Like everybody and their mother's taking a trip to Greece and, you know, going here, going there they, with money they don't have. Now they're sitting there like, wow, we were complaining about, you know, the dumbest thing. And we just totally took for granted all the great things that we had. But well, I mean, you study business. I mean, is, is it yeah. to say that, you know, our entire, uh, the business of our country, not just business, but even like personal business or, you know, individuals, it's all based off debt. I believe like your credit score is just like how much debt you can take on. It's not actually about like, Hey, this is how powerful my spending is. It's listen, this is how much we know we can, we can put you in the hole. Right. Yeah. And there's economies of scale with that too. Right. So the people who have the most money get the lowest interest rates, but the people who are least credit worthy pay the highest interest rates and then they can't pay it. And then they become debt slaves, which is I think one of the biggest forms of slavery that people don't talk about is, uh, no, is that let alone prisons i mean you know even if you're not in prison i mean there's just this this other means of control like you said of like just just debt there's another issue we haven't even talked about the prison system there's another like form yeah your taboo that like hey i know if you saw the story in uh new i don't know if it was new orleans but it was louisiana and the garbage workers are like listen we're getting 10 25 an hour you ain't giving us hazard pay we're picking up people's trash this is like the fifth hardest state hit by covid Mm-hmm. and they're just like we want more money so you know what the, the, the company did they went to hire prison inmates where they can do it for either not pay them at all or pay them like a dollar or 50 cents an hour and bring them in and it's like whoa in a crisis you're going to get on people and not pay them more money that you have, <laughs> your business hasn't been shut down you're still getting income coming in and you're not going to give these guys more money because they want more money because they're putting their lives at risk every day. One thing would be like, Hey, listen, we want more money or else we're not going to do this. But like we're putting our lives on the line every day now. Mm-hmm. But like, that's, yeah. that's where it's come down to is that we don't value the individual anymore. And we've all become expendable for big business and what do you yeah. mean? This is the massive corporations and even the people who are in our government because they're owned by, these massive corporations. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to see an interesting, we could, we could actually see some type of golden age, believe it or not coming out of this. If we can figure out a way to kind of, like you said, come together. And I think there, there are opportunities to unify around this. Um, but 
I'm thinking you know, like right. teens, like fruit revolution. Yeah. We go chop all the politicians' heads <laughs> off. That's, that's why I'm doing all these push-ups, man, because you never know. I mean, we've had a good – I mean, I, I would argue that we have been in war, but it's like it's a, it's like a psyop warfare. Like our brains have been totally been zapped by all, by all these, you know, messages. And you don't realize that it's seeping in, but it, it, it does, and – you know the jelly analogy. I like. I like that one. Uh, I totally agree. Would you be ready if tomorrow the revolution happened? We all head to the White House and the in the Congress, and we're like, "Yep, sorry guys, I don't... you did your shit. We can't get you out of power." Mark, yo, know, Zuck, come outside. We got the guillotine. Ready, you know, we're gonna your head off. We're start over, redistribute. Oh everything. man, Clear well, down. dude, they spent like. Well, they, they saw the writing on the wall. I mean, they have, they spent like millions and millions of dollars on these like underground bunkers. Now, I don't know if you've seen this, these like cities that they built underground, like Silicon Valley. It's like, they know there's some uncouth stuff going on. And they're like, if this shit hits the fan, I'm going to be underground, which is ironic. I think. Fucking sad. I I don't want to talk about that fucking shit anymore. Um, it's it's just depressing unless they're you know especially I'm an action guy and if we're if we're going to be taking the action. I want you on my on my side though, man. That that's one thing that I'll uh, I'll hope for uh, is you on my side. You know, one thing I really want to do after this is um, you know people can start uh, congregating again and getting together again. It's you know doing community organization where wherever I live and um, <laughs> collectivizing power amongst the people I live around in the community, in the city um, to demand more out of politicians um, and even, you know, from businesses. Cause I think that's the biggest thing. Like we just mentioned, it just doesn't happen. And people don't know the, the power they have as a unit. And, you know, you don't have to call that socialism. When you say collectivism, you can just say, Hey, we're a team. And we want more money. This is capitalism. We're demanding more to the table. We're going to want to renegotiate our deal. Like, mm. just, just flip capitalism on them. Like, just say, listen, I don't like my contract. I'm going to enjoy my summer. Scotty Pippen shit, you know? I, I, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, for Scotty, but. <laughs> oh, man. What, um, so. One of the things that see you obviously hooped a bit. What what was it like in Kuwait, man? And like, tell me about because I'll tell these guys. You know, when Reese was at Syracuse, I mean, he was on the, one of the best teams, you know, for four years. And like any other team, Reese would have played a hundred percent. He was, you know, there was times where you know him and Scoop would Scoop would be like, oh, you got to get Reese some minutes to day on. And so Reese, you know, you went and played in Kuwait, but. You had a nasty injury, man. Like you, you, you hurt, you ruptured your. Man, how does that even happen? It's funny. It happened five years ago. Um, as of recently, it happened in May. Um, so I, I don't even know. I told you all this. The whole kidney thing I was born with. No, I know you were like, yeah, yeah. Everybody say I'm not a, I'm not as open as a book as I think I am. I'm talking about all that stuff. Um. Yeah, so I was born, or they thought it would be hydronephrosis. I had this uh, kidney that was four or five times the size of this other kidney. And I never, uh, you know, was. they found this out when I was three. I was never supposed to, you want to say, be normal. Uh, 
supposed to be on antibiotics my whole life. They wanted to have surgery right away when they found that out. Kidney stone, infections, and my parents decided not to have surgery. They were real careful about how I want to play sports. I somehow picked up a basketball at the age of four, and by six, I'm calling plays and saying, hey, pass this, roll this ball in so the cock doesn't start. I'm going to hit this three and win the game. And I'm doing that at six years old, and they're just like, oh, shit. I don't know if we can not let this kid play basketball. And after all 20 years of playing hoops, I was coaching in Kuwait. I went to go play in Israel, and I bounced around, had a tryout you know, in Canada, made the team, then got cut there. And then uh, it was in Holland for a few, like two weeks. <laughs> uh, the ABA, uh, the PBL, all these minor league teams in the States. And then I just stepped away from ball and went to go out to Kuwait. And I was playing – I actually got invited uh, by Kevin Belby to go play in the, the TBT the first year of the, the Beheim's Army. So I'm like, of course, ah, oh, shit, I, you know, I'm not supposed to play basketball anymore. But you know, ah, man, this is the last chance, last last dance. You know, like, play the million dollar tournament. I, the team we had was like looking like a favorite. We're gonna have a million dollar summer. Let's go. And there was also a ten thousand dollar basketball cash tournament game that i found out in kuwait of all places so i'm competing in this ten thousand dollar game we're in the south oh, Wales. i'm training like a savage trying to get ready because it's like may i got to get back into the states by end of may start training with the team in june in syracuse i want to make sure i'm good to go and i was coming around the screen i was chasing a, a jerry mcnamara jimmer Fredette types kids coming off a screen love and guy has his elbows out on the screen and it just like a boxing shot it was just one of those where hit hard it was just one of those i think uh what was that the fighter with uh yeah is it mark Wahlberg? Wahlberg and uh what's our boy's name christian bale oh uh, yeah oh yeah 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 oh yeah where he gives him that boxing shot and just oh shit that guy goes down that's what happened to me i lost i lost all my breath i was like trying to crawl to the sidelines i've I'd never been in pain like that before either because the kidney had rupture and a little bit of the uh I don't have anything else tore right there on the hit. And I was just like crawling to the sideline. Cause like, I just couldn't breathe. It was the, the hit again. wasn't even that hard. It wasn't even that big of a rupture ruptured, you know, to say the least. So I'm like, it was so nuts. Cause it's like, Oh shit. Like they warned me when I was a kid, you ever get hit, you gotta get to the hospital immediately. Cause when urine hits your bloodstream, it's poisonous and the ambulance out there. And I'm like, no, no, no guys. It's not just my back. Cause I've had, I took a bunch of back problem hits like throughout my career. I got mm-hmm. a holding disc in my back. Um, and I'm like, no, no, we got to go to the hospital guys immediately. I might have to have surgery. Like we got to get me there ASAP. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're fine. I'm like, no, no, no. So the hospital refuses to take me. So the no. Take me to the hospital. So now I'm like, to one of my teammates, like, yo, dude, you got to take me. Like we got to go. And like, I get carried into this car cause I couldn't even walk cause my back hurt that bad. It just felt like, if I could feel my organ, like it was just being like squeezed. It was like throbbing up and down. You could like feel it. Um, that inflamed. So I'm laying in the back of this guy's pickup, this Egyptian guy's pickup truck. And he's taking me. And I and I start picking up a smoke, smoking a cigarette. And I'm just like, oh, shit. This guy, come on, dude. Not, not the time to be smoking a Bogue right now. And then he's just flying up the speed bumps too. And I'm laying on my back. And I'm just like... I'm there and it was one of those moments where just like you're in so much pain. I don't know if I'm going to get the hospital in time. You know, if it, is it, it, is it torn or I don't even know if it's ruptured. I didn't know at the time until I got there. 
like, you know, one of those moments where I'm just grinning, like, oh, this is a hell of a way to go out. This is the way you're going. Not and you're in Kuwait. You're in, you're in fucking Kuwait. So who knows how that, you know, the hospitals are, right? I wasn't in Kuwait City, too. I was a little, I was like 25 miles outside in this other uh, smaller city. So they take me to the hospital in Mabula, Mabula, Kuwait. So they take me in there. Perfect. And I'm just in a wheelchair. I'm just like, oh, please, please give, just give me some medicine, some pain meds, you know? It's like, just shoot me up whatever you got. Like, the pain was just terrible. <laughs> and because it's a uh, Muslim-majority country, and they don't pr- – it's not Saudi Arabia where they're practicing Sharia law to that extent. But, you know, mm-hmm. in the country, drugs are highly, highly looked at from frowned upon. So I'm like, yo, yeah, I need something, man. Yeah, I'm like, just this little Indian doctor, like, dude, shoot me whatever you got, man. I need something. <laughs> I'm dying. He's like, and like, no, I mean, are you a drug addict? Like, they, they're like, we don't know. So we can't give you any. Medicine. Oh, my God. So give me some Tylenol. And I'm just like, I'm like in this. Oh, shit. no. Like, just like in so much pain. And they finally get me into, and then the hospital was full that night. They had filled up all the beds. So I had to sleep in the ER that night. And then I remember before, after they got me into an MRI and a CAT scan, and then I'm in the bed, I just start vomiting black shit up and just start throwing everything up. And I'm just like, I don't know what's wrong with me right now, man. I don't know what's going to happen. And then I ended up spending a week in the hospital out there. And it was nuts because... After I finally got into a room in a hotel bed, and I mean a hospital bed, my my coworker and my boss show up and they you know brought me my iPad. Hey, do you want to call your mom and dad? Mom and dad haven't heard me in a few days, and I talked to my family even out there, uh, whether it's here or now. We talk almost every day, and so I'm like, you know, it's one of those calls. It's like not prison, but you know, you just don't even want to tell mom and dad, but you assume they know. Like, yeah, guys, I'm in the hospital. I ruptured it. Yeah, that whole kidney thing. And they're freaking out. Like, God damn it, Brandon. Yeah, they always joke about being like Liam Neeson and taken. Like, we got to get on a fucking plane. I got to find out where you are. So I'm like, no, no, no. I got two more weeks out here until I fly back home. I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And so I did a week in the hospital. But then at night, they come around like, oh, why do you have your phone and your iPad here? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, because it's a hospital, like it's a safe place. Like, no, we got a problem with stealing and theft. So, you know, you got to be really careful with your stuff. So I'm sleeping with one eye open every night. I shove my, you know, my iPad and my phone in my pants right here in my waistline. I've got holding my phone in my iPad. I can't adjust. The Jesus screen. Christ. Right here. I'm sleeping with my one eye open. And mind you, you know, everything's split up by gender there. So I'm like. I got these fully veiled Muslim women like showing up in the middle of the night, like checking in. I'm like, is this, is this chick trying to steal from me? Like, are, they, are, they, are they trying to steal? Right. Oh my gosh. I, I can't get a good night's sleep every night. I'm eat, I was eating terrible food. However, because of that universal basic healthcare kind of thing they have out there, I think a week in the hospital with all the tests and medicine was like 400 bucks. And it's just like, wow, that's, that's a win. Bravo. You always find the positive, man. That's that's what I like about you, man. You always find the good. Well, I mean, I had a, I had a big summer planned. I was going down to ayahuasca in South America coming up that summer. Mm. Especially now I couldn't go to uh, the TBT and play. Um, so, you know, I had a lot to look forward to. And I had a- what was that like? Did you do that or no? Yeah. I mean, I think I had, uh, with all that, it was just even more of a point to say, okay, Brandon, it's time to look past basketball now. It's time to 
to figure out <laughs> what the next the next thing you want to do. That is a that is a leap. That is a leap. Yeah, I kind of do that to myself where it's just like I don't need to just be told to sit down. I need something that's going to paralyze me for a week or two weeks or a month to say, all right, it's time to stop whatever you're doing and to rethink what yeah. you're doing. Um, yeah, and I went down to South America with a few friends, um, went all the way upriver, the San Pacaya Reserve, like four hours from Iquitos, like on the Amazon River. Gorgeous, man. Like just that river is fucking dinosauric. It's just massive. You got pink dolphins, alligators, piranhas, jaguars. I mean, ants, like, <clears throat> we're talking like, you know, like inch long in these mounds. And you start standing on these mounds, these ants will just come out and swarm you. Like, it is just, it's the wild, man. It's crazy. So, you know, you're doing like, what do you do all day? You know, you're in the jungle. You just, you just, do whatever you do in the jungle. You swim, you, you hike, you, you look for food. You know? I mean, we had food, you know, that was on the, uh, in the village we were staying at, but you know, the, the ayahuasca compared to other psychoactive substances, you know, especially psychedelics that I've done, it's, it's, it's one that's not to be fooled with. It's not on the, the level yeah. of LSD or psilocybin. I mean, LSD and psilocybin are, you know, beautiful and very 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 good at what they do in their own right and regard but doing uh what is the main component DMT in ayahuasca is just oh man it's it's a whole different it's a whole different trip it's a whole different experience and it's a whole different way to reset and reconnect with everything you're doing i mean i, I was for the six months before that i was working on writing stuff what's going on in life how i want to change things what i want to do how things I wasn't sure about, things I was looking at in terms of, you know, everything. And I think having those intentions and mindset, you know, in a ayahuasca or DMT ceremony, as well as, you know, anything you're going to do in life, you know, waking up every day and making sure your day is set with intentions on how to, or your business, like it, it's, it's going to make any experience you have more enriching in what you do. So it's a habit. You gotta, you gotta really take on everything you do. You have an, uh, taking the ayahuasca plunge have you no no i'm trying to create that with with uh you know anything that i can do give me some advice to create that experience but without doing it because it's like a, it's an ego death there is there is no there is no three puffs of dmt or shots of uh ayahuasca <laughs> look i'm open-minded i'm open-minded because they've gone a bad rap a lot of those things and you know i don't think they should be like schedule one type substances like they you know heroin and things like that i I think setting is like tremendously important like the fact that i'm in this hut with three of my friends who i've convinced to come down to the middle of the fucking amazon rainforest and there was a, a few other people there doing some ceremonies with this family who lived in the village and then you got the shaman there and it's just like when you go through the steps to actually yeah. commit to doing something and then execute on all those things, it's just like, yeah. I was on the verge of tears before I even took it. Like, just like, Oh God, wow. this is like, you know, the strongest juices like you can ever do to, you know, not just experience a part of, you know, existence, but you know, to get a better understanding right. of the world around. Well, right. And it's like, all right, here we go. I guess there's no right. name. I, and look, I mean, shoot. If, if, I think if, if everybody 
oh shit, I'm losing my, my earbuds. And so we'll, we'll wrap the wrap on this, but the, like the good Friday experiment, look that one up. They basically gave the uh, 15, 30 people in the experiment, 15 were placebo drugs, 15 got psilocybin and they went to good Friday mask in like the late seventies, 13 of the 30 people, all 13 in the test group said that there was, it was a top three experience of their life. The people who are filming and doing the test studies were filming the people walking around the church go, Oh, the glory. Oh, the glory. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Like not religious people going into that. And then it came out. So it's like, I think it's just a perspective change. I think, like I say, like just to zap people out of like their current mind frame where I think we've been programmed with all this garbage. that's not important to our lives. You know, if, if everybody could, you know, maybe the entire world, we're all focused on, coronavirus maybe we all do a ceremonious whatever you just ayahuasca and see if we can well listen what way we can all come together maybe just there's this is one thing scott adams had the theory that said we're all god's debris like god immolated himself and like we're the god's pieces and the only way to get back up into god is for us to all come together but we're all bickering so it's like maybe if we could all unify and do one thing together it doesn't have to be that but you get the idea Mm. No, no, completely. And I, I think as a person who studies religion, you know, I've read all the books. No, I don't know if I've read all of them, you know, but, you know, I've got the Bhagavad Gita in the house, read the Quran, read the Bible. Um, I, uh, you know, Old and New Testament, I think it's really important to read them in certain like filters. Like, oh, I'm going to read the Bible this time as a story. I'm going to read it this time. Or I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go a little deeper into the context of the stories. Cause like you said, I, I think there's so much, we were talking about the Iliad, you know, what uh, Homer wrote, you know, 4,000 years ago, or was it 3000 years ago? And just, you know, the, the representation and the context of all those stories, like aren't just meant to be entertainment. You know, there's, there's morals in there for you to, yes. and to pull out of, you know? So when you read the gospels, um, you know, there are some beautiful stories about, you know, how to look at and perceive life to treating people, to acting like that. It's not, Hey, listen to me. This is what they did. And this is how you should do it. It's, it's what Martin mm -hmm. Luther did in Protestantism, you know, 500 years ago when he made that printing press and told you, Hey, here's the Bible, take whatever you want from it and run with it. Like, yeah. that was like yeah that was internet from in the, in the 16th century where he said boom here's yep. the internet go go do what you want it, it it fucked up you know the order for a long time there was a lot of war and there was a lot of fighting going on because of you know the the stranglehold certain people's in power have and have used religion for and have used, used it in a political sense to control people but um that is something we'll have to go into deeper deeper time for i know you say your pods are running out yeah i got one i got one year in one you know how that is right one year yeah. <laughs> 90 minutes dude i'm so happy you came on the show uh absolutely man so much fun i, I think you got a, a future in podcasting man dude i want to come back on i think um right now i'm trying to put out this mba street uh basically so i went to business school and uh i want to get some of the best ideas from MBA out into the, you know, the public. So I'm going to do some Instagram 
videos, but I have a guy that I'm, I'm working with now to kind of cut it. Cause I think people deserve like best content possible in terms of delivery. Um, so that's one of the projects that I'm working on, but you were one of the ones who inspired me to do it because, um, I see the way that you, you're, you know, setting the, setting the trail for us younger guys. You've always been that way on the, on the court and, and now in the podcast game. So I don't know if I'll do the podcast, but I'm definitely looking to put some content out. So thanks for, you know, showing us the way, man. Well, maybe we'll be getting a podcast in. We got a daily podcast. I've been looking for a, a good co-host, uh, to do a different oh. show with. So. Yeah, man, I got still got this uh, this this day job, you know that I'm that I'm doing for now. So it's what? it's well, I mean, I still work without the coronavirus. I'd probably be in the office right now. So yeah, yeah, we'll see. The drive with the bus driver and Nolan, six <laughs> in Chicago, eight a.m. in Chicago, six six a.m. in the Pacific Standard. Yeah, man, you you want? I was trying to get this in early, man. You're like. You're on LA time, sleepy, well, sleepy bone Jones. Up and do a morning show every day. I, you know, I, by the stream, make sure you're streaming strong over there. We're broadcasting out to the airwaves. Dude, absolutely, man. Dude, we got to do it. Let's talk more off air. Um, but let people know where they can connect with you in terms of whether that's going to be Instagram, Facebook, where they can go um, so they can tune in and find this show. And uh, also, let me know whatever help you need with editing. I do have a little. Yeah. I do that, and people I have do that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I editing is actually one of the things I need. So we'll talk about that offline, but it's Nolan fat with the PA Nolan fat PHAT. It's been my tag since I was nine years old on AOL. So you can find me on AOL, MySpace, Facebook, Instagram, all the way up. Nolan fat is, is everything. Nolan fat at Gmail. If you guys have any questions, um, but it's been a pleasure being here, Brandon. And, uh, you know, hope the fam is healthy and safe. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you soon, man. Likewise, man. Thank you so much to Nolan. Thank you everybody who tuned in on the live stream. Um, if anybody is out there still watching, I'm not checking right now. But um, thank you so much for tuning in. Go ahead and subscribe to the show. Go ahead. I don't need you guys to like the video and all that shit. Like, you know, I'm not going to go do that whole YouTube junk. But, hey, we got a lot of podcasts coming out. I'm talking with interesting people who do amazing things all around the world. They're doing some cool things. We're bringing them on the show. And there's different things that you can learn from them. And guess what? They're only a message, a question away. Whatever you want to learn out there, all you got to do is ask. And that's all it starts with. And that's all it starts with taking. That's your first step. That's your first leap is talking to someone who knows more about you that you want to learn about. So I hope I have inspired you to do that. I hope I inspired you to connect on that. And yeah, the show is going to be on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, where everywhere podcasts can be consumed. Hopefully me and this guy are working on some other shows. There's a bunch of other YouTube videos of experiences. I'm hoping to put some more experience videos out. They've been tough to do. And uh, yeah. Bosses out. Thank you guys. This is the most uh, for those who.